Well, good afternoon, all of you and all of you out there on the phone. I don't know how many uh, may have heard Adolph Biden's speech the other night, but uh, boy, what a declaration of war against conservatives and anyone that wore a MAGA hat. <clears throat> and a declaration of war, for that matter, against, I think, Donald Trump. I would not be at all surprised to see them go ahead and kill him, uh, maybe to help start the Civil War. But uh, Joe Biden gave an awful lot of people the idea of killing him the other night uh, with that speech, because it was basically a declaration of war to divide our people. And the comparison to Adolf Hitler is amazing. I don't know whether you saw that one site where they showed Hitler with his clenched fist yelling, and Biden had the, they put the pictures together, exact same expression and gestures. And there were three or four different shots of Hitler and him that were different, and they were just alike. Someone even suggested the same demons have got hold of Joe Biden that had Adolf Hitler. And that could very well be true. Of course, we have recognized for a long time <clears throat> that the Scripture says uh, one or more of our leaders are going to be killed. It's nice to know all these things ahead of time. They don't come as a shock. And then when we see leaders in government advocating blood in the streets, and Pelosi has said we're coming after all of you who aren't Democrats. Uh, Biden as much has said it, and apparently had a red, dark theme behind the podium, and it looked like it was set up as a satanic speech, and it certainly came off as satanic. Uh, he had nothing to do with making that speech, or that is, producing it, uh, those behind him and in higher places do that. <clears throat> Here in Matthew 24, the disciples wondered about the sign of his coming and the end of the world. I think I touched on it a little bit last week, but I want to go back here just briefly and Jesus answered in verse 4, Don't be deceived. There's a lot out there that could deceive, and Satan is the greatest deceiver in the universe, and he's very, very good at what he does. And it says later here that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. That's in verse 24. So we have to be very, very careful, very aware very close to God and very close to His Word in order not to be deceived by words that aren't written here. And then we have to be even careful of words that are written here that can be twisted as Satan clearly did with Christ when he tempted him. He is a great twister of Scripture. And he can do it in such a way that people are impressed with it and think it's true. So, he says, with a warning here, take heed that you not be deceived. 
be sure what you're seeing and reading and people are pointing out in the scripture is actually what it says, not some twisted version that takes it somewhere God did not intend it to go. There'll be much of that. And it's only beginning. <clears throat> then he says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So we've been hearing about wars for a long time. We've been seeing small wars and rumors of more wars. So that's something that's been going on forever. And I've even read that historically there's never been a time on the earth where there wasn't war somewhere. <laughs> but it begins to prol proliferate and get to be more and more as conditions worsen. And then it spreads and there are more and more of them until it is finally a worldwide conflict. We call World War One and World War Two world wars. But indeed they were not truly. They were mostly against Germany, or between Germany and Europe, and finally America and Japan. But there was an awful lot of the world that didn't get drawn into that in either World War I or World War II. But it's shaping up now where it is going to be much, much bigger and more widespread. And he then says that. <clears throat> You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but... Don't worry, it's not over. Then it escalates here. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now what we are seeing right now is uh, an escalation in famine and disease, I saw a clip the other day, it was about 18 different cases uh, from around the world, quite a few of them were in China, and people who were young, people who were busy, people who had no health problems that didn't appear whatsoever, just suddenly look around a little bit, maybe raise their arms a little bit, and they just fall over dead, tremble and wiggle a little bit from the nerves. And that's the end of them. One was standing, a young person, standing at a train stop, just fell over and slid under the train. Uh, one was at the top of a stairwell and just standing there and fell over. And there were at least 18 examples of that. And it's happening more and more. I see young people. There was a 32-year-old actress the other day. I'd never heard of her because I haven't watched movies lately. But uh, in the prime of life, doing fine, and she suddenly died of an illness, they said. What kind of illness? Uh, there was a, a football uh, guy up high in the NFL, uh, 47 years old, perfect health, and fell over the Miami Dolphins communications guy, and uh, they said he had a blood clot. Well, the vaccination's known to cause blood clots, and a blood clot can kill you very, very rapidly. Now, people are just falling over. Uh, people that shouldn't be. Uh, athletes in the best of health, bang, they hit the ground. And 
then they try to come up with something other than the word vax uh, to say that that killed them. Well, it's the result of the vaccination. So, we see weather in absolute turmoil. We just had springtime here, uh, if fall comes on us. And uh, my son was telling me yesterday that a, an area in Kansas where someone he knows goes to harvest every year, last year, in the area that he worked, they produced 22 million bushels of uh, grain or corn. 22 million bushels. Guess how many they got this year in the same area? I said, oh, I don't know, six or seven million maybe. I, I reduced it quite a bit. 272,000 bushels. And it was 21 million last year. That's just in one area of Kansas. What about all across the country and across the other nations that usually produce? I don't, there's not much crop growing in Ukraine right now. Uh, can't be. And this is contrived by Satan. Now, God said these things would happen, but mankind is messing with the weather and with the food. Another big food plant uh, got destroyed this past week. That's becoming quite common. And Russia claims that they had a rupture in the pipeline that delivers nearly all the gas to Europe and are continuing to shut down. And that's just political talk. I'm sure they shut it off. Uh, those people's industries are going to shut down without fuel. And when it starts getting cold, they won't be able to heat their houses or maybe even cook. There are some bad, bad times coming this winter. So these things that he says in verse 7 are beginning to happen all around us. Uh, and they're going to get worse day by day and week by week until this is fully accomplished. And these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now he's talking to the apostles here. Uh, the tribulation is going to encompass about 90% of those who were called into the church, and they will be killed, martyred. Only about 10% are going to be the remnant that God draws out and protects. So he's talking to the church here. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and killed. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Everybody, it will be man for every man for himself. Uh, people who were sitting close to each other in church some years back and still are to this day, when the heat is on, will turn each other in to try to save their own hides because everybody will tend to be selfish when this comes down. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. He brings that up again. And because sin will abound, the love of many shall simply wax cold. 
people who were told and had preached to them and read that we should love one another as ourselves will turn on one another and betray one another (coughs) to death. That will be happening within the church of God. 90% of it. Only 10% will be drawn out and be used by God to finish the work. And he goes on to say that, He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Uh, Those who give up early uh, won't be. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. When the two witnesses are finished, that's when the end comes, and the mystery of God is finished, and the first resurrection occurs. So, I think the context here in the history of the church in this end time shows that these things that Christ says will happen had not happened by the time Herbert Armstrong died. They hadn't happened at all. We're just now seeing them coming to the fore. (coughs) Shortages of food. And they're going to get worse. There are people already starving in parts of the world. Have been all along to some degree, but not the way it is getting now. Uh, they just had a thousand killed in a flood in, where was it, uh, Indonesia, I think it was. It's getting worse all over. And they haven't delivered the church members up to be killed yet. Uh, that comes, essentially, during the Great Tribulation. Is when that occurs. That has not happened yet, but the prognosis for the church is pretty bad except for a 10% tithe that God will have for himself. (coughs) Now with that background, let's go back to the book of Isaiah. I was thinking this morning about where to go. Uh, with the next sermons. And the thought was in my mind of the old and the new, the past and the present, uh, the past and the future, and things of that nature. And my mind turned to Daniel because Daniel is a book that is sealed up until the end. Therefore, from the beginning of Daniel... And on true, it is all about the end time. Now, different commentators will tell you that all that stuff in Daniel has already been fulfilled in Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar's time, and that it doesn't apply. And I don't know how they look over the fact that God said it's sealed to the end. It says right there that that is the case. Um, And it wouldn't be understood until the end. But there's some things there that I was mulling over that fit so well with the demise of Worldwide and us going back into Babylon as a church uh, and where the book of Daniel opens. Uh, But then I, some of those thoughts led me back to Isaiah uh, because he has some comments about some of the same things. And as I thumbed through, I thought, I think I better start with the beginning of this. 
Isaiah, we have been through, and I was emphasizing the church in it. Uh, as we know from a thousand times saying it, Hebrews 12, 22, and 23 are talking about Zion and Israel and Jerusalem and all of these entities that are mentioned there as the church, and even calls it the church of the firstborn right there uh, under the Father and the Son. So he ties a lot of the prophecies together and makes sure that we understand that these things are talking about the church first and foremost. But then they have a big application with physical Israel and Judah uh, afterward when the church has already gone through it. Now we've been over that so many times and at risk of repeating some things over and over uh, that thought occurred to me the other day. How many times, over how many years, did I hear Herbert Armstrong give the almost the exact same sermon toward the end of his life? There were these two trees. <laughs> and he'd start every sermon with that. And uh, he'd say, you don't get it. So he'd go over it again and again and again. And I'm not sure I ever got it. I, I hope that I did. But uh, the Bible repeats itself a lot. Uh, it is a book that is all tied together and intermeshed and entwined together in such a way that anywhere you go in it, you have the same story of the past, of the present, and of the future. And it doesn't matter whether you're reading it right after Moses wrote the first five books, or whether you're reading it today when they're all before us, it's still the same story about God beginning something and the end of it, and the Bible simply fills in all the information in between, and it's especially written for the end time, because that's when all this culminates. And all the things that were written in the beginnings of the Bible have been repeated over and over and are going to be repeated here at the end in the greatest and most dramatic fashion. The last episode, if you will, uh, where all the, all the things that have been being talked about come about and the answers become very plain. And the answers to you and me are getting plainer day by day as we see the things that Christ mentioned in there intensify. And now we're not just looking at something in the future, but the present, I mean in the past, but in the present and in the near future, as it gets worse. Now, to me, Isaiah is one of the best writers, per se, of Scripture. He has soaring hope, written in beautiful language and prose. He has warnings, and sometimes he can be pretty strong. But behind it all, Isaiah always seems to have a kindly and loving and gentle approach as well. And he can give you the direst warnings and yet soften it for you a bit and give you hope. So, I think in these times, Isaiah is a good place to be. 
uh, he lays the story out and he begins it with a description of what occurred in the church, but then he also gives a description of what is happening in our nations and puts it in a, a great perspective. His name, uh, Isaiah, is basically the same meaning as Jesus or Joshua. It means Jehovah saves, or God is salvation. You can term it different ways, but Jesus is all about salvation. Uh, so, Isaiah is a derivative of that name uh, as well. He's been called the Paul of the Old Testament uh, because he does talk about salvation by faith. Trust in God and hope in God is a great theme that runs through the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> and the very promising things that will come of it. So in here, we find correction. We find inspiration. Uh, guidance. Judgment, hope, and love, and everything that culminates in the kingdom of God by the time you get to the end of the book. So, this is quite a book by Isaiah. I, I just love the way he writes and the way he puts it across to us. Let's get into it. This is a vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, he prophesied over a period of 40, 50 years, and he was still around in the 15th year of Hezekiah, and at the end of Hezekiah's life, and then he went on from there. So, uh, here's somebody that covers a lot of time and a lot of events that are happening before our very eyes today. They happened then, uh, and were fulfilled then, in a lesser way, and are being right now. So he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. He widens the scope here, even though he's going to be talking mostly to Jerusalem and Judah. He widens the scope to hear, O earth. This could be addressed to all nations. Now recall in Matthew 24, Christ said that many nations will war and fight among themselves. So the prophecies entail more than just Judah and Jerusalem, or Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah are the primary focus because God decided to work through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and on down the line. <coughs> As example to the world... And Christ dealt mostly with Israelite people when he was on the earth. But he also included the Gentiles and sometimes healed them, even though a few times he said, no, you're a Gentile. Uh, that which was for God's people, we don't give to the dogs. And that would have offended a lot of people. It would have been called racist. But they persisted in faith. And finally, he would turn and say, yes. <laughs> there was a Berean on that I read. I think it was this morning. 
yes, okay, your faith is incredible. And even though I, in a sense, put you down as a Gentile, that the word is not for right now, you didn't get offended. You still believe. And God has used the Gentiles sometimes in that light, like Nineveh, who did repent at least for a while, when he said Israel wouldn't have done that. So, this book encompasses and is primarily directed in the end time at the church. It also includes physical Israel and Judah, but it also expands then to a message to all the earth. And all the earth really should read this book and listen, because it tells them the answers. It tells them what to do. It tells them what their problems are. But the world is in denial. And they want to be told by Satan and his emissaries what they want to hear. They don't want to hear anything from God. And that will be borne out as it has been in the past when they killed the prophets and the apostles, when they war against and finally killed the two witnesses. Because they simply will not accept God. But Isaiah says, here, listen. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, wherever you are. For the Eternal has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Now that started in the Garden of Eden, and it is a statement that is true to this day. And very, very few have ever repented of that rebellion. You know, everyone has had a degree of it. Abraham had to be converted before his name would be changed to Abram, or from Abram to Abraham. Uh, God worked with certain people, and some were willing to turn. But it hasn't been very many. So as an overall statement, this includes all of mankind, with a few exceptions. The ox knows his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people does not consider. Any of you who have raised animals know that they know where home is. They know where the barn is. And anybody who's had horses and made the mistake of feeding their horses before they took them out riding found... No, wait, I mean, after, when you feed them after you take them out riding. I'll get this right in a minute. All they want to do when you take them out is get back to the barn because they know that's where the food is. So they'll fight you all the way out and want to run all the way back. You give them their feed, their treat, their whatever before you take them out. Not after you get back, because it trains them, and they know where the feed bag is, where the crib is, where the barn is, and that's where they want to be. Goats hate wet, and they three sprinkles, three drops of rain, and they are running pell-mell to the barn, because that's home. The people don't know God. They don't know where home base is. 
They don't know how to get there. They don't even care to get there. They don't know God. They don't know where to turn. And when things get really, really, really rough here in the next months and years, they won't know where to turn. And when somebody offers them that if they have this chip, they can eat and they can be re- they can it can be renewed every month, and they can go and get food. The whole world is going to go that way. That's the only way they'll be able to eat. So they won't find the true God. They'll go to the wrong crib. Go to the wrong master. Take heed that you be not deceived. Hungry people do some pretty strange things. Ah, sinful nation. Then he draws it back down to Israel as a whole. A people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, they are gone away backward. He's giving a description of our nation today, and how he looks at it, and how he thinks of it, and the way that it is. And then people sing, God bless America, or God bless America again. He is not going to bless America in her current condition. It's just not going to happen. Sinful nation. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart thinks. From the sole of the foot to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises, putrefying, that is, rotten, stinking, smelly, infected sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. In other words, you stink with pus, and I smell it, is the way he looks at our nation. And notice that this is head to foot. I've made this point probably many times, but we blame our leaders. It's Trump, it's Biden, it's Pelosi, it's whoever. They're the problem. You know what? They weren't always the leaders of this country. What they were, were normal, human, carnal, selfish people like the whole nation is. And then they got elevated in rank and suddenly came into power and money and it just made them more corrupt. There are a lot of Americans that lie and cheat and steal. There are a lot of Americans who commit adultery and kill. There are a lot of people who want to do all the above but are afraid to. And then when they get into money and power, they lose their fear to do that, and they do it. So all they are is people who were given power and money. And it corrupted them, and we blame them for our troubles when we're just as much a part of the problem as they are, as a nation, as a people. All they are 
is a dramatic extension of us. And in that sense, they represent us, because they're liars and thieves and selfish. Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land strangers devour it, and your presence, and it is desolate, is overthrown by strangers. And we see this happening as the Chinese move in and take over and set up their solar farms. They're buying uh, agricultural land. Our own people are burning our cities. We've seen some of that here in the recent past. And we're going to see a whole lot more of it in the very near future. As people get hungrier and can't pay their electric bills and buy food. And if something happens, I have trouble believing they're going to allow the election in November. Uh, they stole the last one, and now we have communists in control and converting us into a communist nation. And I cannot even imagine them relinquishing that power to anyone. They want to keep it. And they've gone so far that I think they truly intend to keep it. And they'll do whatever is necessary to do that. And starting a civil war uh, would be a good way to do it. They're having trouble confiscating guns, but they could turn those guns on each other, and they could accomplish a great deal of their purpose right there. They want us all dead, and if they would, could stand back and let us kill each other, they'd like that. Now, they may think they can get away with it, but Jeremiah tells us there'll be a violence in the land ruler against ruler. And now they're saying it even more openly. The head of the CIA said, if we can find anything to pin on Trump, true or untrue, we're going to kill him. Head of the CIA. Grasp that. That couldn't have happened 20, 30, 40 years ago, that he could come out and say that and stay in office. There are proclamations being made among the top officials that are causing them to get harder and harder against each other, and it's going to lead to violence. It just is. God says so. So strangers are going to devour it in our presence. A lot of money is coming in from overseas and buying up houses and land and that's one reason that the dollar has stayed as strong as it has, is that people are coming in and spending. But that will come to an end. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Eternal of Hosts had left to us a very small remnant you should, or would, should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like Gomorrah. If there were not a few, like you here, scattered around this nation and around the world, about 10% of what was, God would totally wipe it out. Sodom and Gomorrah. Only a few escaped there, just Lot and his two girls, even the wife didn't make it because she looked back and had a twinge of sorrow that she was giving up what she didn't want to give up, whatever it was. 
And he said, this nation would be that way, except a very small remnant of church people. That's all. He's not going to have a small remnant of people who obey him. Now, he says, when the famine and pestilence and war and uh, slavery occur, 10% will survive. That doesn't mean they have turned to God. It just means that they'll live through it all and be there when the millennium starts. Then they turn to God. So the only ones that this could be talking about here would be the church. Small as it is. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. So he likens us to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sounds a little like Ezekiel 16 and like Revelation 18 and other places. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. How much has homosexuality and all kinds of sex perversion increased in the last 10, 15 years in this country and become come right out of the open? Homosexuality or perverts was the way Sodom and Gomorrah was. And that's what our America has become. So he says, listen to God. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Eternal. I'm full of the burnt offerings of the rams and the fat of fed, fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. Now, Isaiah's writing in the context of basically a rural uh, community in Israel at the time with Jerusalem and some cities, but <coughs> whatever they had to offer God was not of any value to him. And whatever the churches today offer before God has no value to him. And what the church of God itself offers to God for the most part, has very little value to him, and he's going to put 90% of it into the tribulation. So this is an all-inclusive statement here. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? Who told you to come to me? (laughs) Such as you are. So he says, bring no no more vain oblations, incense is an abomination to me, the new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I can't handle. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. So even things that are good, like the new moons and Sabbaths, have become a stench in his nostrils because of the way people live and the way people think even if they are still keeping some of those things, it stinks in God's nose and is an abomination in his ears because it's done by people who are not seeking God truly and righteousness. So even those who still keep those things are offensive to God if they are not living correctly. So what's he doing here? This is showing the way things are and then saying this needs to be fixed. 
because your relationship with God is manure. It has to be gotten right. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary to bear them. Now, this could include Christmas and Easter. Jeremiah included Christmas and Easter. Things that so-called, a Christian so-called nation, do. So, those things that they have as their holiest and greatest feasts are to God an abomination. And even the ones God appointed have become an abomination to him because people aren't there to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. They're there to vacation and party and play and eat and drink and go to the beach. They're not there to truly worship God. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. So, when you make many prayers, lift your hands to God. He says, because of the way you think and live, I'm not going to hear it. I will not hear your hands are full of blood. He says that we will cause each other to be killed there in Matthew 24 that we just read. Church members betraying one another to death because the love of many has waxed cold because of sin. And on a national basis, it's the same way. And millions of babies killed, murdered, aborted is too general, it's too nice. Killed, murdered. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings, for before my eyes cease to do evil. What would it take for a fake or a real leader of this nation to get up and read Isaiah 1 to the nation? And read it the way I'm reading it to you today. How well would that be received? <laughs> You've got to repent, he'd say. That's what he says. Cease to do evil and learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Now, he could have ended Isaiah right there at the end of verse 17 and said really everything that needs to be said, in a way. You're evil, repent. It's that simple. But it needs a whole lot more elaboration. <laughs> you know, uh, it needs to be gone into more. And Isaiah also needs to give people a reason so to do, if you will, and hope for the future. So there's a lot in that sense that's unsaid, but basically, what does Acts 2.38 say? Repent and be baptized. Change the way you are, become something different, and turn to me. That's all Acts 2.38 says. And that's all he said so far. But then he makes a call. Come now and let us reason together, says the Eternal. God says, let's talk about this situation. Let's, uh, let's get some communication going here. If this is going to be solved in any way, you've got to talk about it. And that's why he tells us when we get offended with one another, which we're not supposed to do, 
to get together and talk it over and come to a solution that allows love and forgiveness and a good relationship to come from it. So that's what he's calling for right here. Though your sins be as blood, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now Christ's hair is white as wool. And when wool is bleached clean, what a very beautiful whiteness there is there. It just simply glows. And that's the way his hair is in the Father. They're not old. They're just God. Ancient of days means he's always been there, but that doesn't mean he's ancient. God is not all wrinkled up and stooped over from age. They are both in the prime of life, a prime that goes on forever. So they're beautiful. And their skin and their hair is beautiful. Now, old people here try to make their hair beautiful. And to one degree or another, you can succeed. But if you're not careful, it starts turning yellow streaks and it starts, you know, it just, it's hard to keep it looking nice. Because we're getting old and we're deteriorating and everything gets uglier as we go. Sorry. <clears throat> I just realized the uh, remedy for old age. Somebody came up with it. They have this article about the remedy for old age. There's only one remedy for old age. Die young. I heard somebody recently said, uh, if you have a chance to die in your 70s, take it. It only gets worse from there. <laughs> and there's a certain amount of truth to that, I think. Not that I don't want to die young or take a chance in my 70s, but uh, it made me chuckle because we do age. But he says, everything that's nasty about you is going to become beautiful again. God just wants us to go through this aging process to learn something from it. That we need eternity. We need help from God. We need everything He is because He's promised us a life eternally with no pain, no tears, no sorrow, no hurt. Hard to imagine. But He wants us to get the point while we're here that there's no future here. But there has to be something better beyond. And you don't have to be old to see it. You can look at old people and say, oh man. And then you go to their funeral. And then yours comes along quicker than you think. So he says, we can turn this around. As black as you are, as red with blood as you are, you can be white as snow. Now that's, that's pretty hopeful, isn't it? For God to open a conversation to abject sinners, baby murderers, queers, with, you can be white as snow. How positive, how wonderful God is that he would open 
a conversation about the future with that kind of declaration. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But he doesn't, he starts out here telling them what they are. And then he changes it completely and says, here's what you can be. Just listen here. Let's talk. Let's reason together and see if we can figure this out. But, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Eternal has spoken it. We don't have to go anywhere but the next book, Jeremiah, where God declares through Jeremiah that we should not even pray for this nation because it's futile. It will not repent, and it is going to the sword. And then we read the next book, Ezekiel, and then he tells us how many will die of what in chapter 5. So they're not going to listen. Then that raises the question, am I going to listen? should raise a question in your mind. Will I listen? Because this is written to anyone who will listen. Nations, Israel, men on the street, leaders, anyone who will listen. God's opening this up. And the two witnesses are going to do the same thing. Herbert Armstrong preached mostly to Israel. Then he went to some of the Gentile nations, and some were converted. The two witnesses are going to go to the whole world and not leave anybody out and say this to all of them. Here's a chance to eat the good of the land, not just that little bit that your chip gets you from the beast. But they're going to be hovering around their little ship. Excuse me, and what it brings. I guess I can't hug my mic. Verse 21. How is the faithful city become an harlot? You go from here to Ezekiel 16, and he calls Israel the great whore, the great harlot. Uh, same harlot you read about in Revelation 17 and 18 that the beast is going to kill, destroy. It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Murderers of babies. They're also starting to uh, kill old people. Canada's doing it. They're Israelites. They're starting to kill people in nursing homes. Uh, we set up the vaccinations to give to a lot of old people who would eventually die from it. And I saw recently a little clip of some old people who didn't want the vaccination and they were screaming, no, 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 no. And big burly people held them down and jabbed them. How is the faithful city become an harlot and murderers? Your silver is become worthless, your wine mixed with water. Everything is being uh, misused, abused, and 
they're giving you less for more money, making the not filling the boxes as full or whatever, and diluting the things we have. I just read recently now there are several big companies that are starting to put insects in their food products. And they've come out now and are advertising this one, a, a cricket flower, uh, because some of the elite want us to eat bugs and be happy. Because they don't want cows who make methane uh, to live. Everything is so topsy-turvy and upside down, it's just unbelievable. The things he's saying here, your silver's become gross. They're finally admitting a little bit that we're in a recession and headed for a depression. And the gold and the silver and especially the fiat money are going to be worthless. If there's nothing to buy, what good does money do you? Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. We got big corporations that are nothing but thieves, and our leaders are hand in hand with them, or hand in wallet with them. Everyone loves gifts and follows after rewards. So power and money is where they go. They judge not the fatherless, neither does the cause of the widow come to them. They don't care. Raise taxes, cut off the little people. They're destroying the middle class and the lower class financially. They only care about themselves. That's what's happening right now before our very eyes. Does the high cost of food bother a billionaire? Not a whole lot, as long as he can get some. Doesn't mean a thing to him to pay double what it was or quadruple what it was. Sure does bother the little people, the widows and the orphans, the homeless. Yeah, they don't care about them. Therefore, says the Eternal, the Lord of hosts, the Mighty One of Israel, Ah, I will ease me of my adversaries and avenge me of my enemies. I'm not going to put up with the conduct of this nation any longer. Just as he said to the church, I'm not going to put up with your lackadaisical, vain, selfish, self-righteous way of living. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And he says the same thing to the nation here. I'm tired of it. I'm not going to put up, put up with it anymore. I will turn my hand upon you and purely purge away your gross and take away all your tin. It's going to destroy the junk that we are producing, both mentally and physically. I will restore your judges at the fir- as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness. So, he's talking to the church, he's talking to the nation, and these both apply. The 10% that survive of the church are going to be blessed here as a light to the world, and the 10% of physical Israel that survive 
this purge that he's talking about will be there to be converted and receive blessings in the millennium. It's hard to imagine that God is going to have to reduce the population of the earth to 100 million, as Daniel seems to indicate, before people will be willing to listen. That's phenomenal, is it not? You'd think maybe if he went through and killed 10%, everybody else would say, hey, we ought to do something about this. No. He's going to kill most people before anybody, except a few converted, will listen. They just won't do it. Isaiah will be read to the world. He will be. And they'll deny it. But it's all going to turn out good in the end. After God kills them. Because he has a plan and a purpose to resurrect all those evil people in the great white zone judgment when they have been gone through famine and disease of all kinds and hurt and been in pain and then starved to death or plunged through with a sword or riddled with bullets. And it's going to take that and them coming up out of a grave and getting the cobwebs out of their ears before they're ready to listen. That's what it's going to take. If you think you can make your relatives or your friends listen now, you're crazy as a loon. They will not. They're part of this world. They won't. Now, maybe when they're old, they won't depart from it, but you can't convert your kids, and I can't convert my kids or grandkids. Not a chance. Why do we spend our time and energy trying when it is absolutely futile, and God says, forget it. I'm going to take care of it my way. You do it your way, and all you'll do is buy trouble. That's all you'll do. But he has the answers. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness. And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the eternal shall be consumed. Well, that's pretty much the population of the earth right there. Your kids and mine, even. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired, and you shall be confounded for the gardens that you have chosen. We've had our free moral agency. We've been able to choose what kind of life we want to live. We've adopted that in our society as you do as you please. Whatever turns you on, what makes your socks go up and down, whatever spins your wheels, you're free to do it. I don't care. It's not my problem. That's your problem. You just feel... We've been taught all this tolerance. All this tolerance. And there was a reason for that. Because now we're tolerating abject, outright, Satan-worshipping communists who have taken over Washington, D.C. And we're tolerating it. Satan has taught us to tolerate sin. 
And God's calling us out on it. They're going to be, finally, they're going to be ashamed of what they've promoted. I read on the news just yesterday about this young lady, beautiful woman, who has just produced a movie. And it's about all kinds of 69 genders. It's all about uh, cannibalism. And she had some trailers before the movie comes out that showed things that you probably wouldn't want your kids to see. And she probably put them in there so that it would get publicity and then took them out. But she's promoting whatever you want to do. It's okay. Same old Hollywood. But it's just getting worse. Someday, they'll be ashamed for what they've promoted. Probably in the great white throne judgment, most of them. For you shall be as an oak whose leaf fades and as a garden that has no water. I had a cottonwood out there. It wasn't an oak, but it was a cottonwood. And the beetles got to it, killed all the leaves, standing there stark and bare like it's winter in the summer. It isn't very pretty anymore. I'm kind of ashamed. And one of them just totally died, and I was enough ashamed of it, I cut it down. The strong shall be as tow, and the maker of it as a spark, and they shall both burn together, and none shall quench them. So the strong and the weak will get together and say, let's build a fire and be nice to each other, and they're going to be consumed by the fire that they create. Our nation is going to be consumed by the fires that we are creating right at the moment. And Joe Biden stood up and threw a lot of fuel on the fire the other night. People are upset because he put down half the nation. That's treason. High treason. But we didn't have immediate riots. Now, it may lead to something when there's a trigger that sets this off, but we have become so tolerant that you can stand up there and scream and shake your fist like Adolf Hitler and nobody cares or doesn't care enough to do anything about it. None shall quench it. The word that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass when? In the last days. This is not a prophecy about 1,500 years before Christ. This is now. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, or prepared in the top of the mountains, in Zion, in Jerusalem. And shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. There will be people from nations all over the world who come to Zion. So many scriptures about that. They're not going to Petra, they're coming to Zion. So he keeps interspersing these hopeful things about what he's going to be doing with the church, because it's already suffered, and it's going to suffer more like the nation, and be killed, 90% of it. But he throws in things about 
blessings that are going to be coming to those who will listen and hear this conversation. And many people shall go and say, Come you and let us go up to the mountain of the eternal of the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the eternal from Jerusalem. So he is providing a people to do a job, and people will come from all over the world. There won't be many, but they'll come from all the nations. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Now, you can read about the church here, but then it also goes forward into the millennium, when people, instead of turning their plowshares into swords as they're doing now, they'll go the other direction. So it is moving forward into the millennium and what will happen to Israel ultimately after all of God's punishment is over. O house of Jacob, come you and let us walk in the light of the eternal. He still has to put this in terms of physical Israel and Judah, not just the church, because ultimately he's going to deal with all of them in their time. So it's here for anyone who will listen, be they at this moment a spiritual Israelite or just a physical. Because the offering of a solution has to be for anyone. And that's why he said, listen, you nations, at the beginning. Therefore you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east, and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Where do we go for what we want? China. They'll make anything we want, whenever we want it, unless they decide that they want to take over our place, and then they'll quit making it, and we can't get parts for our war machines, and we'll be a sitting duck. Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. (coughs) Do we worship our computers and our telephones more than we worship God? How many people... How many hours do people spend on their cell phone a day? How many times do they spend on the line with God a day? (laughs) That's a pathetic comparison, is it not? Enter into the rock and hide you in the dust for fear of the eternal and for the glory of His majesty. He's not talking to the remnant church there. He's talking to the population as a whole that is decadent, immoral, and sinful, and they might as well go hide because God is going to do some killing. And then they'll get in there and they'll call for the rocks to fall on them and kill them because they can't die and they're in such misery and pain and fear from disease and starvation and they can't seem to die. 
Do we get it? I hope so. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Hitler tried to exalt himself. Biden tried to exalt himself. Everybody tries to exalt himself. This goes right down to the foot. People sitting in a bar, getting drunk, try to exalt each other above each other, and then somebody's pride gets in the way because he said something to put you down, and then the fight starts because it goes from head to foot. Pride and vanity and ego. But God's going to bring it all down. Verse 12, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. So what was Christ's first message? Be humble, be meek, be poor in spirit. Don't have pride, don't have vanity, don't have ego. God hates the proud and loves the humble and the meek. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, and upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up. Anybody who has pride, vanity, ego, self, self-esteem, self-acclaim, self-promotion, upon every high tower and upon every fenced wall, uses a lot of different comparisons here. And upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all pleasant pictures. So, all the trade that's going on between the nations, and the huge ships that are hauling stuff that people like, and that we're proud of. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And he'll only be exalted by the few who are willing to repent and turn and listen to what Isaiah is saying here. And the idols he shall utterly abolish. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the eternal and from the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake terribly the earth. Tells us the same thing in the book of Haggai with the remnant and the two witnesses there. Uh, that he is about to rise and shake the earth. So when it says the last days, that's what he's talking about. Here and in Haggai and Zechariah. In that day a man shall cast his idols of silver, his idols of gold, which they made such one for himself to worship, to the moles and the bats. Fling it in the air where the bats fly, and let it land on the ground where the, gold, the moles tunnel. They go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks for fear of the eternal, trying to hide, trying to get away from him. When he arises to shake terribly the earth, seek you for man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? Man can't help us. The beast and the false prophet are men led by Satan. Remove yourself from that. Cease from man and turn to God. That's the only answer. Is this timely or what? What I've just read 
in Isaiah is what we're looking at today in every term, everywhere you look. And this is just the beginning of the introduction. See you next week, God willing.